Um, the word that I'd love to bring to you this morning, um, 2023, uh, a year of good news. Is that going to come up behind me? I hope it is. Um, and I think, you know, in a world where in 2022 there wasn't much good news at all, uh, it's just so good to begin this year knowing and having the assurance that for some people, this is going to be a year of good news. Um, the elders of the church here have asked that whenever I get to preach, which will be obviously from time to time throughout this year, that I should have the freedom to uh, preach what they call a big picture word or a word that's formative for us as a church community. And because it's the beginning of the new year, 2023, I felt that uh, what I want to share with you today will be hopefully a word that will shape some things for the rest of the year and how we live and the things that we do. I'm often asked when I travel around to different places, um, what actually makes a healthy church? I don't know what you think the answer to that question is, but uh, there could be lots of answers. So what do you think is a healthy church? I'm sure a lot of us would say, well, it's a very loving church or a very generous church. It may be a church that as we've heard already today, embraces diversity. It may be a church that has a heart for the nations. It may be a church that has a heart for the poor. There are so many, many ways that you could describe a healthy church. But these are the five things that are foundational in order for us to make sure that we are a healthy church. And if I was talking to someone else in another church, I'd say these five things. And actually, the things I've just mentioned, loving, generous, Heart for the Nations, they kind of all come out of these five things. So here are the five things. Well, there's two of them to start with. Okay, Let's see that one and the other screen. Can we do that? Just so you can see all five of them. There we go. So I would, I would say that what makes a church healthy is a church that gives themselves to word, spirit, grace, family, and mission. And when I look at these five things and contemplate for those of us who've been part of this church for over 40 years and ask the question, how are we doing on those issues? And how are we actually doing today in this new year on those issues? I think we have to just reflect a little bit and say, in some of those areas, we really are making terrific progress. And there's one area that I want to highlight this morning where I feel it's an area that we need to move up a gear and we need to see that become a strength alongside the others. So if you're a part of this church and have been for a little while, uh, you will know that when it comes to things like the word of God and the spirit of God, we're the kind of church that wants to give ourselves to those things. We want to help individual Christians be, be men and women, young people who understand that the word of God is important in their lives. It's truth that sets us free. It's how our minds get renewed. It's the basis of the things that we have chosen to believe. We're not dominated by our feelings. We're dominated by an unchanging word of God. Amen? And corporately, 
We, and this is important, that as a church, we believe the word of God is the basis for everything that we believe and do as a church. We're not some kind of 21st century modern church that decided this is a way to do things. And we're not dominated by an ever-changing culture that changes its ideas on what is truth and what isn't. We stand as a church on the, the unchanging truth of the word of God. And then the Spirit, we, we, we will talk to you constantly about the Holy Spirit. I wonder how many sermons some of you have heard over the last few years on the Holy Spirit in this church. Loads and loads and loads. Because we want individuals to be filled with the Spirit and we want as a church to be constantly leaning into the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Grace. Is, a, is an issue that as a healthy church, just desperately to be healthy, we have lent into year after year. We want Christians to know that you don't get God's favor by the things that you do, but by actually the love of God that's lavished upon your life. Driven, striving, trying to please God is not how legalism, keeping laws, rules, and regulations are not going to win God's favor. He loves you because he loves you. While you were dead in your sins, you were made alive in Christ. You didn't do anything to earn that. It was the grace of God. And as a foundation of a church, we want that to be our emphasis. And then family. We just don't want people to be Christians who come to church on Sundays. We want Christians to be connected and part of the family of God. With all of our diversity, mothers and fathers and young people and young families and single people and every color, every description, diversity all together, working out what it means to truly be a family. And I would say, as I look back over the years and today, in these four areas, some of you know what's coming, in these four areas, we are not perfect and that we've made mistakes And we're all a work in progress. Please don't tick those boxes as if that's a done deal. We still need to learn more about the word and the spirit and grace and how to be a family. But we have made significant progress. It's part of the DNA of this church community and all that flows out from this together. We've essentially given ourselves to these things. But when it comes to the fifth area, It's not that we have not been a church that's had a heart and desire to reach people with the gospel outside of ourselves. But personally, I do not believe that this has been at the same strength or level as those other four things that we've mentioned thus far today. What is mission? Well, mission is where each of us as individuals are regularly and constantly sharing the good news of the gospel through the words that we speak and through the lives that we live. And a missional church is a church that constantly, corporately declares and demonstrates the wonderful love of God. A church which is rich in mission and one of those important parts of church life is this, a church that's absolutely buzzing with expectation of salvation every time we come together, every time we meet amongst our friends and talk to our neighbours. We're buzzing with it. A missional church where is a church seeing people constantly transformed. And it's everyday normal life amongst us as a church community. Now, please excuse me 
I just don't think that describes us. It doesn't describe me. It doesn't quite describe the community that I'm a part of. And it may not describe us yet as a church community. And God's will is he wants that to change. So this becomes a church regularly buzzing with the excitement. Has anyone got saved today? Did anyone get saved yesterday? Did anyone respond to the gospel last week? Oh, if that could become part of what we are as a church community, that would be a most wonderful, wonderful thing. Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, this is a well-thumbed verse. Some of you, your Bibles fell over and at it the moment I mentioned it. How many times have we talked about Acts 2, 40, 42 to 47? And if you're looking at it with me, it describes a healthy church. It describes people who give themselves to teaching and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers and signs and wonders and miracles being done and everyone together and sharing their lives and sharing their possessions and having food together and meeting day by day and attending the temple and glad and generous hearts. And then it ends with this, verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day or daily those who were being saved. I would love to be in a church like that. I would just love to be in a church where day by day men and women are being saved. I really hope I'm not the only one. I really hope there's some people here today that will love to respond in the same kind of way. Do you know what's encouraging about verses 42 to 46? It describes a church that is given to word and spirit and grace and family. And I want to really encourage us today that if we have given ourselves to these four areas of our lives together, there's a result that comes, which is that day by day, men and women are being saved. I'm really encouraged by that. I'm encouraged that the end is not, it is a means to an end, and the end of a healthy church, what really is a church that's healthy, is growth through conversion. It's growth through salvation. There was a moment when you became a Christian. God just wants to repeat that over and over and over again. He doesn't want us to keep this to ourselves. Annoyingly, there are some churches in the UK that are seeing people saved all the time. How annoying is that? You know, I was in Brazil last November and uh, it's a nation where you go where just, they're just churches of thousands. It's not uncommon to see churches of 20, 30,000 people in one church everywhere all over the place. Just seeing multitudes of people coming to Jesus all the time. There are nations like that in the world. And we could all say to one another, well, trouble is it's here in the UK. It's really tough. It's really difficult. This is a cynical Europe. But annoyingly, <laughs> there are churches in this country that are daily seeing people saved and added to their church. That each week. So at the beginning of October, I was in a church in the northeast of England, not part of New Frontiers, but a church that I was been invited to speak at. And it was like early October. They had seen 35 people saved, added, and baptized in the three weeks before I was there. And I thought, whoa, that's so exciting. It's so wonderful. There are churches in this country that are experiencing that. I believe God wants us to be such a church 
Anybody say amen? amen? I really believe that that's on God's heart. It's the same gospel in Brazil as it is in the northeast of England. You never thought anything happened in the northeast of England. Well, it jolly well does. He needs to come down to here, into London, where we live. Why are we not seeing it? Why are we not seeing what other churches are seeing? I mean, you might have your own answers to that, but I don't know. Maybe over the years, years we've got a bit distracted. Maybe gospel proclamation hasn't been at the top of our agenda. Maybe some of us have witnessed to people and got disappointed, a bit disillusioned. We've witnessed again and again and people haven't responded. We've asked people to come and they don't come, even though they say they will. Perhaps some of us have just lost, I think this is a big one, the wonder, the joy and the thrill of what it means to share this gospel. Maybe some of us are a bit fearful, we're uncertain in these modern days how to communicate this gospel. Maybe we're just happy as we are. We just kind of like the fact that this place is filled. If this word gets fulfilled through this year, you will give us a problem. And the problem is we cannot fit everybody in this room. We're going to have to have at least two meetings. What a wonderful problem that is. Because we do not want the size to stop the growth that God wants to give to us. Maybe it reflects the leaders. No, let's not go there. Let's go on to the next uh, point. But seriously, I think we have to sober up for a moment and say, well, if I don't have stories about people I'm witnessing to and become, coming to Jesus and you as leaders of the church don't have, that will be reflected across as a church community. Interestingly, many of those churches in this country that are growing are led by people who are constantly sharing their faith with others. There may be all sorts of reasons. When I was preparing this word this week, I felt God want to say this to us. This is not a word to condemn us. This is not a word to say you can do better. This is not a word to beat ourselves up. But it is a word to be open, to be changed at the beginning of this year, to have a different mindset. It's never too late to change. The best is always yet to come. And the best for new community is to be a church which is constantly, constantly seeing men and women and young people coming to Jesus. Yeah, we'll give ourselves to word and spirit and grace and family. We're not going to drop any of those things. But oh, to see this as right up front and central to everything that we are. To believe that God's will in 2023 is actually to turn this around. Jesus said this, all authority in heaven and earth has given to me, now go. I had no idea that Hannah, I've never seen that. I don't know what Hannah was going to say, but as she was saying it, I thought, stop, you're stealing my preach. But she was saying, go, Jesus says go. The thrilling thing about that, again, not to beat ourselves up, is this. He would never ask us to do anything that he knew that we could not do. He absolutely believes that we can go and make disciples of men and women of all nations. Jesus said this, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. So first of all, all we've got to do is really believe that all authority has been given to us to go. 
Secondly, all we've got to do as a church community is just lifting Jesus. Just keep lifting Jesus. Just keep talking about Jesus. Our worship centered upon Jesus. Our communities centered upon Jesus. Our relationships centered upon Jesus. Every time we lift him up, the promise is <clears throat> men and women will come to him. Why? Because they're not seeing Reuben. They're not seeing Jeremy. They're not seeing Dave. They're seeing Jesus. And when I be lifted up, Jesus, I will draw all men. Please, church, let's believe that's a wonderful promise. It's not a condemnatory word. Just keep lifting up Jesus, and the fruit is going to be all men will come. The Bible also says, freely you have received, freely give. You're sitting on a minefield of a, of a, of a, of a message that is life-transforming to people. The word is this, just don't keep it to yourself. Tell as many people as possible about what's changed your life and what can change their life as well. And I love this, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. And I've got a little story on this one. Jesus said, I will make you, sorry, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Because we're sensitive, that means men, women, young people, everybody, whoever. And the amazing thing about this, when I used to read this as a young Christian, I used to see it as a chore. I'll blow it, I've got to go and make fishes of men. I've got to go and do evangelism. And it took a few years and then I suddenly realized Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. In other words, it's not a duty to be fulfilled, it's a promise that this will happen. And when I've tended to think, Lord, I, I, I'm just no good at this sharing of my faith with people, I felt again and again, just keep following me. Keep on following me. Because as you follow me, I promise that I'll make you a fisher of men. And there are some of us here today that are thinking, oh, I'm just no good at evangelism, I'm no good at sharing my faith. It's never. Just keep following Jesus. And there's this wonderful, wonderful promise that will happen as a result. Colossians chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 5 to 6. I, I just love this passage of scripture. It's talking about the gospel. And it says here, Of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. Hands up if the gospel has come to you. Come on, Mr. See, It's not everybody in the room, but loads of people. The gospel has come to you. Isn't that wonderful? As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. I'm so encouraged by this because it just simply means that the gospel is bearing fruit and is growing all over the world. And when I hear of revivals going on in Asia and Africa and South America, I just used to, why, why is it always happening somewhere else except here? I so get really angry about that. It's just not fair, Lord until you realize they're preaching the same gospel, it's the same kingdom, it's the same Holy Spirit, and actually, rather than get angry, get encouraged, because it's happening all over the world. Guess what? It's on the way. It's coming here. Europe, don't leave Europe. If you want to go and live in the world, don't get, just live in Europe, because just as you leave, it's all going to start happening, because the same gospel is surely coming here today. So here's the word of the Lord at the beginning of this new year. Wouldn't it be wonderful if in 2023, this became the year of good news?
for many people who live in southeast London. Wouldn't it be wonderful if this became the year where as a church, many were saved and many were added, that the gospel became infectious amongst us and we genuinely grew by dozens and scores of people being saved and added into this community. Amen. I haven't quite finished, which didn't surprise any of you. I want to round this off by saying I think that there are three missing components. When I ask the question, why are we not seeing the kind of fruit that the Bible seems to say we should, or we're hearing is happening in other parts of the UK and beyond, but it's not really a strength of us as a church community, but God intends it to be so. I do believe that we have three missing components. I know they're missing in my life. I sense they're missing in our lives. And I know these are generalizations, but I kind of think this is missing in the UK church generally. The first missing component is compassion. Compassion. Let's turn to this well-known passage of scripture, Luke, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter nine and verse 35. Matthew nine, verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now Jesus makes some pretty straight declarations. He says, Sheep without a shepherd are harassed and helpless. I wonder what you think sheep are like when they don't have a shepherd. The Bible actually answers some of those questions, but we would understand, it's hard for us, isn't it? Because not many of us hang out with sheep very much in Sidcup High Street. But sheep without a shepherd are lost. Sheep without a shepherd are people that are alone, sheep that are very alone, sheep that are in danger. They could easily get hurt. They are not being protected. People that wander aimlessly through life. The Bible itself says we are all like sheep. We all like sheep have gone astray. That's what happens. You go astray when you don't have a shepherd. And Jesus summarizes it like this. Sheep without a shepherd are harassed, and are hopeless or helpless. Physically, that's true, just is true. But it's also true spiritually. Do you really need me today to describe how lost and how empty many, many people are around us in this nation? They are relentlessly searching for love, for identity, for acceptance. Life for many people, and some of them would even admit it, is futile. 
full of futility, trying to fill their lives with temporary things, and when they're not satisfied and they become dissatisfied, they then try to fill their life with other temporal things, and round and round it goes. There's so many people in my street, and this is not, I'm not just condemning people, and just the truth just have no meaning and have no purpose in their lives. And they are like sheep, harassed, and they're helpless. I mean, they always have been, and I don't know if it's just me, but since COVID happened, it just seems the demonstration of this dissatisfaction and hopelessness and people harassed, you can even see it on their faces, has just become more apparent. It's always been there, but it's not hidden anymore. We're living in a nation of people who are just like this. And people who are trapped in sin and don't know how to get out of it and are overwhelmed by life. Even those who look okay on the outside, which is how many people come across, on the inside, it's another matter altogether. There is a God-shaped vacuum in everybody's lives. And the only one who can fill that shape is God himself. And that means the most successful, the most wealthiest, the most apparently living life to the full kind of person still has this sense of helpless and being harassed because life itself is empty. For Jesus, this resulted in him being filled with compassion. What about you? And what about me? I kind of feel I've become hardened to the, the helplessness and the harassed feeling around me. I, I kind of feel some of us have, have just got so used to, well, this is just what life is like. And a little bit like the parable of the Good Samaritan, we kind of walk past on the other side. We're not moved with compassion to go and do something for a person who is in deep, deep trouble and deep need. For Jesus, that compassion led to him doing something. And I want to just stress this. If you do feel compassionate about the state of people, it's more than a feeling. I mean, it's good to feel that compassion. It is a real feeling, but true compassion leads to action. For us wanting to do something about the need of the person or wanting to talk to them about what we believe. It moves us into action. And for Jesus, this compassion was not the only thing that drove him to heal the sick and cast out demons and preach good news to the poor. For him, it was the ultimate sacrifice. His compassion was so great that he laid down his life so that a few people like you and me today could get to know a shepherd and no longer be harassed, and no longer be helpless. For you and me, it may not lead to laying down our lives, but it does need to be a compassion that so compels us. The very least is to introduce them to the shepherd that has come and changed your life. And having had the shepherd change your life, surely when we look at sheep without a shepherd, our responsibility is to introduce them. We can't be. Some of us are overwhelmed by the needs of the people around us. We think, I don't know how to even begin. Well, you begin with one, and you meet the needs of that one. What you're doing is you're introducing them not to yourself. You're introducing them to the shepherd because he is the one that will stop them feeling helpless and harassed. We have 
wonderful opportunities to express acts of kindness. The church in the UK in the last five to 10 years has woken up. You and I know, we see the stats, we know that all across this country, there are multitudes of volunteers who because of compassion and acts that they've moved into acts of kindness, because of compassion, they're speaking and sharing the good news of Jesus. And if there's a missing component, maybe, I'm just leaving this with you, you can chat over lunch about it, is just that the compassion <clears throat> needs to be restored into our lives. The compassion that doesn't just put up with the problems around us. It says, God, please, can we see something happen? Verse 37 of this chapter is really, really key. Jesus says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Really? I mean, think about that for a moment. The harvest is plentiful. I, I, I struggle with that sometimes. Here in Europe, it doesn't appear to be plentiful. Yes, it's, it's plentiful in Africa and South America and Asia and other parts of the world, but it doesn't look like it's plentiful here. What Jesus is saying in this passage is this. Listen, this is important. There is nothing wrong with the harvest. The issue is not the harvest. The issue is this. The laborers are few. Do you know in new community, we have some wonderful laborers. They do, they, they are. We have some people who are always telling people about Jesus, always introducing them, bringing them along to things, always trying to do everything they can. We could say, oh, well, they're just kind of a bit evangelistic. God's will is for all of us and to move from the few to the many. It'd be absolutely wonderful if a new community, we could say, and there are many laborers. Do you know what's going to happen? There's going to be a harvest. So there's got to be a movement amongst some of us in that particular direction. How do the few become many? I want to suggest it is compassion. And I want to start this year by saying, Lord, here I am. I, 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 just, I need you to, to move me with compassion so that I can become one of those laborers and see a tremendous harvest come. Amen? Yeah. Second, and second and third will be briefer. The second component that's missing is confidence. Not confidence in ourselves, but confidence in the gospel. Romans 1, 16 to 17, well-known passage of scripture. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power for salvation for everyone. Please say out loud, everyone. Everyone who believes. Have I become ashamed of the gospel? Have we as a church just dialed down a little bit and become ashamed of the gospel? You know, when you're ashamed of something, it's guaranteed that you'll stay quiet. And when you stay quiet, you shortchange the hearers that should be hearing what you've got to say. There's a verse in the Bible that says, how will they hear unless someone preaches? How will they hear unless someone shares with them? Many of you here today <clears throat> believe this because someone somewhere shared truth with you and it started a journey whereby you also believed. And so in the gospel, in fact, in verse 17, it says, and uh, we must declare this gospel because in it are the words that will lead to faith. 
So there are certain words we need to speak about and not be ashamed of, but the truth is we easily get ashamed of them. The gospel offends people. We get embarrassed by it. We love to be popular. We don't want to be rejected. We actually, sometimes I think some of us think this gospel message is just too simplistic. But, but why is Paul able to say we are not ashamed? It's not because he didn't experience those things either, because he did. In fact, if you're a Christian and you think one day I'm going to speak a gospel that will never upset or offend people and I won't be embarrassed by, it's never going to happen because it doesn't change. It's the same all the way through your life. So you're always going to have the temptation to be ashamed of the gospel. But Paul overcomes that not by having therapy to help him somehow get over in the embarrassment, but by this phrase alone. It is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. If we honestly believe that this gospel message was that, we will be flooded with confidence. Can God really save that person? My non-Christian husband, my 17-year-old rebellious kid, that drug addict in my street that always looks so helpless and harassed but never looks me in the eye, those kids who spend all day on their computers and don't ever look up and speak to me, do we really have the confidence that God can break through into all and everyone? Do you know what the answer is? He broke through into your life. And if he broke through into your life, why on earth can't he break through into anybody's life? It's one of those things that we need to see a restoration in our hearts of confidence. And it doesn't matter how antagonistic people are or how lost they appear to be. No one is beyond the power of the gospel to transform their lives. Not one single person. And the irony is this. The man who's saying this, the Apostle Paul, the gospel has the power to salvation for everyone who believes, was somebody before he was a Christian who murdered Christians and gave approval to others who did the same. So if there was anybody that didn't deserve the gospel or would never ever return around or be, or be changed, it was the Apostle Paul. There aren't many people here this morning have murdered Christians or watched others do so. But even if you have, the gospel has the power to break into your life and bring transformation because it's for everyone who believes. Confidence needs to quickly be restored. You know, many of us, when we first became Christians, we were just so confident in this message. Some of you look back on the early days with utter embarrassment of the things you used to say and the people you used to talk to, unashamed. Why was that? Because you were so confident that what God had done in you, he could do in others. And like it or not, it's just a fact of life, that the longer you are a Christian, that kind of excitement and confidence can drain for all kinds of reasons. The years go by, we witness to people, nothing happens. So we stop witnessing, we have very little expectation anything will happen. And the problem we end up with is this. We are looking at ourselves and not the message of the gospel, so we get ashamed. 
We are looking at others around us and seeing that they're not doing much better than us, so we're comforted by our lack of evangelism. We're looking at the results when we talk to people and it doesn't seem to be very, in, no one seems to be very interesting. In fact, they laugh at us and think we're stupid. And what we're doing is we're looking at us and our own experiences and we're not looking at the gospel. And if we want to restore confidence once again in this gospel, we need to take our eyes off ourselves and the things around us and we need to start looking at the gospel again, falling in love with the gospel all over again. It's wonder, it's joy, it's ability to transform people's lives. And you know what? The first day you heard the gospel and he understood it and it thrilled you, it hasn't changed one bit from that day to this. So for me, it was over 50 years ago, but I know today the thrill and the excitement of of what it really is hasn't changed. I may have changed, but it hasn't changed. Folks, there's no other message on this planet that has the power to change and transform people's lives at root. This is the gospel of good news. It is that people's lives can be flooded with peace. It's that people can know that they are loved for the first time as they are, that they might know God is their father. The gospel is about being forgiven and being accepted and having a new identity. It's the assurance of God's presence with us in whatever trial we face in this life. The gospel has the, the power to heal us physically and spiritually and emotionally and mentally. <coughs> Excuse me. It is the freedom to free us from our past and our addictions to overcome everything. This is the message that you and I are sitting on. And it's the message that everybody needs to hear because it's a wonderful, wonderful provision from God. There may be people even here this morning who do not know Jesus. And I've just described what this Jesus can do in your life. If you don't have peace, if you don't have joy, if you don't have meaning or assurance or understand what life's about or you know you're trapped in things you can't get over and you're overwhelmed with life, there's only one person that can set you free. And even today before this meeting finishes, you can turn to someone and say, I don't know this. Please would you introduce me. You've got something that I don't have. I don't have a shepherd in my life. I'm just astray in everything that's going on. And very quickly before I get to the final point, corporately as a church, we need to restore our confidence in proclaiming this this gospel. It begins with the individual, but as a church, we need to do this. My personal conviction is this. We need to get back into a bit more gospel proclamation in our gatherings on Sundays when people come into our communities. And you need to be confident that if you've got a non-Christian friend and you bring them along to something, they are going to hear the good news of Jesus. And it won't be cringy. One reason Christians don't bring non-Christians is they think it'll be cringy. You think it'll be cringy. For them, it might be the best thing they've ever heard and transform their lives. Whatever happened to Alpha? Perhaps we should be doing a lot more Alpha courses across the life of this church. When we buzz, as I said at the beginning of the sermon, with, the, with a missional church being full of expectation of salvation, we'll come up with all creative ways in, re, in order to reach people. Number three, and finally, urgency. Three missing components. One of them, I believe, is compassion that God wants to restore. Another one is confidence in the gospel. And finally, unfortunately, it doesn't begin with C, urgency and 
there are so many scriptures we could look at, but let's just look at this one parable from Jesus in Luke chapter 12 um, and verse 16. He's talking and says this. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my bonds and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Nobody lives forever. Despite one of the songs from fame, it isn't true. Nobody lives forever. The most successful, the most wealthiest person, there is a day when their life will come to an end. And they don't know, that's what this parable is saying, you don't know, we don't know when that day will come. The Bible says this, there is an appointed day to be born and there is an appointed day to die. People don't die by accident or mistake. God is the only one who knows when that day is going to come. And you and I can live our lives without a sense of urgency to let people know the good news of Jesus because we've just fallen into this trap of thinking everybody is going to live forever. We've become earthbound. We think there's plenty of time, there's no urgency. It, 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 it's kind of like the urgency comes from this, folks. Listen, there is no second chance. The only opportunity to hear this gospel is before the day you die. After that, there is no more opportunity. And again, that doesn't make me legalistic or driven or try, I've got to run around quickly. It actually causes me to think about the gospel and my responsibility to not let the moment pass because it might be the last one. If you're living in Ukraine right now, I reckon the sense of urgency is all around you because this could be the day. You know, when COVID came two years ago, three, when was it? I can't remember, three years ago, whenever, um, death became very prevalent. Lots of people talking, lots of people conversing about it. Apparently had the biggest hits on all sorts of social media, like death, what is this? <laughs> And for a while, it was a bit of a conversation piece, but you know, the things get better and everybody goes back on to, I really hoped that a sense of urgency would have come. Whatever, it's coming. <laughs> Death cannot be avoided. It's on the horizon, it's gonna come. And one of the things about the early church was this, they were filled with compassion. They were really confident in the gospel and they had a sense of urgency. Jesus was coming back. You don't know the day or the hour when Jesus comes back and when he comes back, that's the end of everything. And you also don't know the day that you will die and life is short. And what really, really matters counts. Having for some of us lived through the 
deep sadness of Megan at the age of 20, just leaving us to go to be with Jesus, and the joy of knowing that she's now with her Savior. If she has a legacy on our lives, one of those legacies, good legacies, is to remind us of this. You never know when that day is going to come. You just can't guarantee that you're going to live forever and ever and ever. And it's something to wake up and to realize that we don't know that day. But folks, the difference between the end of life for someone who's a believer and someone who is not a believer is just so vast. Our responsibility is to embrace this sense of the need to not let the moment pass, but wherever we can, to be able to share. Can we stand to our feet? It's five past 12, there's a sense of urgency to come to a close. I'd like to pray. Father, at the beginning of this new year, I want to pray for us as new community that we would become an even healthier church than we've been in the past, giving ourselves to word and spirit, giving ourselves to grace and family and all those other things, but above all, giving ourselves to this sense of mission, of sharing the good news that 2023 might become good news for many people. And it might be a, a year of health for us because mission really takes off amongst us. And we have the joy of seeing so many saved and added that our growth is primarily through people coming to know Jesus. There are baptisms here next week. People will be sharing good news why don't you think even this week of bringing someone for the first time, taking the step, boldly saying, would you come? You're going to hear good news. Maybe you've not been baptised. It's not too late. If you had a conversation with somebody, and see this place flooded with people who do not yet know Jesus. They might hear good news. And I want to finish with this. And if you feel comfortable, you might just like to lift your hands to receive from God. Lord, where we have lacked compassion and we've become a bit cynical and a bit hard to the needs of those around us, would you please restore compassion to our hearts? When we look at the sheep without a shepherd, it will compel us into action, either to speak or do something that expresses your love. Lord, where we have lacked confidence, would you this year restore confidence once again in the gospel? That like the Apostle Paul, we'll be able to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And Lord, when we miss opportunities, it's okay. There's another one coming. Lord, you're with us in this. You don't condemn us. But make this church a church full of people who, when filled with compassion and confidence, become laborers in the harvest. And finally, Lord, help us to understand the urgent days in which we live. Eternity is just round the corner. We're not earthbound. There is yet life to be given to people all around us. Holy Spirit, please come and please anoint us as your people. And may 2023 be a remarkable year where a year of good news 
where this church has the joy of seeing multitudes coming to Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen.